But another part of our week was really exciting. And Jacob kind of mentioned this a while ago, stole my thunder just a little bit. But I'm going to go ahead and share it anyway because it's my privilege as a pastor to do that because Kim and I had our second grandchild this week and our first grandson, little Isaac, came into the world. All right. You see he's ready for the... He's ready for the Super Bowl tonight. You see those footballs on his little wrap there? So he's all ready for the game tonight. And so we're excited as Courtney and Jacob extended their family as they welcomed him into their home. And we look forward to spoiling him uh, just as we are already spoiling Juliet. So it's going to be exciting. Now, as I think about Isaac, here's something I know. Right now in this moment, Isaac is very easy to love. Very easy to love, right? He is pure. I mean, just so sweet. I mean, he's not done anything to make me mad at this point. He is so easy to love. But here's probably what I know. At some point, he's going to hit what we might call the terrible twos, right? And he might become a little defiant. And in that moment, he may frustrate us just a little bit. He may be a little harder to love. And in that moment, we might even have times where we're going to think, what happened to our sweet little boy, right? Now, today, it's hard to imagine that. But experience tells me in the days ahead, that's going to be the reality. In fact, I am sure all of you know what I'm talking about, right? Whether it was your child or your grandchild, your niece or your nephew or a child of a friend, you've experienced what I'm talking about, how those sweet little ones, right, can kind of get into those terrible twos and be a little hard to love. Now, here's the question that I want to pose to you. Does that mean when they have those difficult moments that we're to stop loving them? I think that answer is obvious, right? I hear that. We say no, but here's what I also know. There are some people who will stop loving. We shouldn't, but sometimes people do, all right? I, I want you to keep that analogy in the back of your mind as we talk about what love is today because I want you to know this, that love is more than just loving when it's easy, Okay. Love is much deeper than a shallow love that is just when things are going good and things are sweet and all of that that we love. No, love is much more than that. And in this little short series entitled Love Redeemed, we're, we're looking at how we need to redeem love back from the way the world often views love and instead see love from God's perspective and so that we can love as God desires. And today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to redeem the love of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 13. You know, I briefly alluded to this passage a few weeks ago, and I stated how it's often called the love chapter. I also mentioned that this passage is read frequently at weddings. Unfortunately, here's what's happened through the years in, in this passage. Two things have happened to this passage. One, we have limited looking at love with this love, looking at it within marriage. And then two, we have given this perception that this is an ideal kind of love, but at the same time, an impossible love to reach. I, I want to say this to you. Both of those things are wrong. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage. No doubt we can look at the principles found here and apply them to marriage. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, this passage is actually in the middle of Paul teaching about relationships within the church. So we should not confine the lessons here just to marriage. We should apply what we find here to relationships really with everyone. Now, second, we should understand that the love described in this passage is a love that is possible, and it is possible through the power of God. 
All right, now with those things said, let's look at what love is. Here is how 1 Corinthians 13 starts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, when we read these verses, what we need to see is this, that love is being motivated correctly, not just acting appropriately. Think about this. If we look at the situations listed in these first three verses, we can talk about what is said, what's known, and what's done. These are all things that we look at and we want to praise people about. These are things that we often look at and say people who have these things in their life are people that we look up to and even people that we say we love. In our society, we love people with eloquent speech, even elevating gifted preachers to a special place place of honor. We love people who have knowledge in the church. And if this knowledge understands and communicates clearly the things of God, I mean, prophesies about things to come and demonstrates tremendous faith, then we praise those people and we love those qualities in their life. Then, of course, when we see people who are generous and sacrifice to help others, and then we even see those who are willing to give their own life in service of God, God, we extend to them special praise and love. And so what Paul describes here are people who would have been elevated as special and worthy of extra love. However, Paul says just doing these things does not make one special because if any of those things are done without love, they amount to absolutely nothing. He is recognized in the point that I've made. Love is not just about an action that we see as appropriate and worthy of praise. It must be accompanied by the right motivation. Now, why is this the case? Because a person can do all these things and many more good things for all the wrong reasons. Can they not? All these things can be done not out of love. Are you ready? But out of selfishness. Right? I told you that this passage needs to be redeemed from just being a love found in marriage uh, to, to, to accompany this, you know, the love of our entire lives. And these verses do that quickly because what Paul is doing in this passage is addressing a problem in the church. The believers in Corinth were using their gifts for show instead of using them for service to the Lord. They were wanting people to boast about what they were doing. And on top of that, they felt like their gifts made them spiritually superior to others. Paul wanted to make it clear that just because someone had a special spiritual gift or appeared to have a spiritual gift, it did not make them make what they were doing right or even acceptable to God. If these things were done with the wrong motives, then to God, they were absolutely nothing. I mean, people acting with the wrong motives still happens in the church all the time today, does it not? Have y'all seen it? I've seen it. Many pastors who are eloquent speakers use their platform to impress rather than to invest in the kingdom. You can look around and find many preachers who have used their abilities to obtain material gain for themselves. I've seen many people through the years who claim great knowledge and prophetic abilities who sell their prophetic materials to people or who ask for donations for their ministries, who amass fortunes even though their prophecies turn out to be wrong and the faith that they promote that was supposedly accomplishing great things turned out to be false, yet they make a fortune on those who follow them. You know what I mean, right? Have y'all seen it? 
If not, open your eyes. Don't fall for those traps. There are those in the church who make huge donations of their wealth to get praise rather than to selflessly support God's purposes. Now, sometimes you don't see their motives immediately, but the truth comes out when they don't get their way and they start bragging about what they've given to the church and why they should get what they want. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I see some heads shaking. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? These are selfish attitudes that can be prevalent in the church, and they are what Paul was specifically addressing. However, the actions that God wants to come from a heart of love and the love that God wants should look differently because it acts from selflessness and desires simply to please God. The love that God wants should be the same inside and outside the church. And quite frankly, we find it hard to have the right motivation for love no matter where we are. All right, let, me, let me give you an example because this week, uh, it's gonna be a great example, right, of how people sometimes display ro- love wrongly or incompletely. For those who give gifts for Valentine's Day, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I giving this simply because I love the person or am I giving it for what I expect in return? There will probably be more people than like to think this week who will give a gift supposedly out of love to only be mad because they didn't didn't receive and return what they thought they deserved. I'm not wrong, am I? You all have experienced that in the past, right? You see, this attitude will be true because the motivation will be wrong. They will not be giving because they love. They they will simply be giving for simply what they're going to get. Another example of how love can be displayed wrongly comes from the great preacher of the past, Charles Spurgeon. All right, now this is dated because Charles Spurgeon was a preacher of the long past, right? He told the story of a carrot farmer who showed up in the court of an ancient English king with a huge carrot, the biggest carrot the king had ever seen. And the farmer said, king, when I harvested this carrot, I knew it was deserving of a king, so I'm bringing it to you to honor you, to express my appreciation for you as my king. You've led well and justly and protected our borders. I am your devoted servant. The king was moved and said, you know, I happen to own all the land next to your farm. I'm going to give you 300 more acres. Now, one of the king's noblemen was standing there and thought, wow, I mean, if the king gives 300 acres in response to a carrot, imagine if I give him a, a real gift, what would his response be? And so that night he went out and he found the finest horse he could find. And the next day he trotted it up to the king and he said, Oh, king, when I saw this horse, I knew it was deserving of a king. I want to give it to you for I am your humble servant. Now the king who was very wise and knew that the nobleman was giving the horse to him only in order to get something for him said this. He said, Yesterday the carrot farmer was giving the carrot to me. Today you are giving the horse to yourself, right? How wise the king was and what a great illustration of how often our supposed acts of love are often more acts of selfishness. What God wants from us is a pure motivation for our love, a motivation that looks like his, a motivation that was demonstrated by Jesus. Jesus didn't love for what he could get from us, okay? Jesus loved purely in love for what he could give. Ultimately, he gave his life, as it says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. That is the greatest act of love because you cannot get more selfless than that, giving your very life. Now, most of us will not be asked to give our physical life to show our love, but can I ask you today, is your love motivated by selflessness or selfishness? 
We are called in light of what we read here to consider, why are we doing the acts of love we are doing? Are we doing them as true acts of love that is selfless or are we really acting in selfishness? Are you doing things more for what you gain or for what you give? That is the question I'm gonna tell you that only two can answer for you. And the two that can answer that is you and God. Right? That's only two, all right? But you are encouraged today to search for your motives and make sure that your love is pure. For true love indeed is about being motivated correctly and not just acting appropriately. Now, if one loves with the love that God desires, it changes the way you live. In fact, if you love with the right attitude, here's what you're gonna discover, that love is countercultural and counter you. I want you to catch this. It's countercultural and it's counter you. I don't know what you think when you hear that statement, but look at these next verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Beginning back in verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, I think most of us read this list and we get a little bit convicted, embarrassed, overwhelmed, however you want to state it, but we recognize at the core that, that having a love that looks like this, as it's stated here, is pretty tough. Shake your head this way if you agree. It's pretty tough. We'd immediately read this list and think, there's no way I can do everything listed there. When being patient means understanding that others are not perfect, and so I need to give them grace when things don't go perfectly, I realize that I have a tendency to want people to give me grace, but I find it difficult to give grace to others. If being kind is being considerate of others and thinking of their needs, I realize that I have a tendency to be selfish and therefore are often mean to others. If not envying means I have to celebrate with others when they gain and I don't, I have to confess that I find that hard when someone else gets the promotion that I wanted or when someone else's child gets the main row and mine doesn't. If not, boasting means, if not boasting means I don't make a big deal about my successes, I have to accept that I have a tendency to want to talk about the things I succeed at. Right? If not being arrogant or rude means I don't think or of or promote myself as the most important and I don't dishonor others or misuse them as simply existing for my benefit, then I have to reflect and realize that I do think about myself quite a lot and I have a tendency to want to use others for my benefit. When it says love does not insist on its own way, I have to confess, I like to get my way. You're all out there too, so don't, don't, don't laugh at me, right? When it says love is not irritable or resentful, I have to ponder how often people irritate me and how I want to hold on to things that others have done against me. When it says that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, I have to think about how many times I was happy when somebody suffered for something they did. Then it goes on to say love rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. By the time I get done reading, I am thinking, I've got a lot of work to do in my life to love as God wants me to love. I read this and I realize that the culture that we live in does not promote this kind of love. And I have to realize this is a love that does not come natural for me. Agreed? All right. Let me ask you this. How do you measure up to the kind of love found in 1 Corinthians 13? 
Here's what we all need to do today. We all need to put your name in the text everywhere it says love. For example, okay, I'll put my example on the screen. Put your name everywhere it says love. And you gotta read it. Scott is patient and kind. Scott does not envy or boast. Scott is not arrogant or rude. Scott does not insist on his own. Scott is not irritable or resentful. Scott does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Scott bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I need to put my name in there and then I need to ask this question. As I read that, does that sound true or false? Or go ahead and put the next screen up because here's what I do it right now. Put your name in those blanks and read that. I'll, I'll even pause for just a second. I didn't plan this, but I'm going to pause. You read, you read your name in there, okay? I don't know if you had enough time, but we need to move on, right? So let me ask you, as you read that, did it sound true or did it sound false? Okay, unfortunately, we get there, right? I didn't really mean for you to answer that, but that's the truth, right? It does. It sounds more, all right? Because if any of those statements about love sounds false with your name placed there, it means you have some work to do when it comes to loving as God defines it. We're going to talk more about how you love this way in a moment, but for now, if any of those statements sound false with your name, then make a note and say, I've got work to do. And as I stated it at the beginning, we should not be surprised that you have work to do because this kind of love is countercultural and it is counter you. It's really not a natural thing. But here's what we can recognize. You ready? A good thing about love is this. Love is eternal. In fact, let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I mean, why do we need to work on this kind of love? Because this kind of love is eternal. You see, Paul makes a very important statement here that all the things that we often elevate as important will end someday, but love never will. There will be a day when there will be no more need of eloquent speeches. They will all end. There will be a day when there is no need for prophecies anymore, for all prophecies will be fulfilled. There will be no more need for people to speak in tongues, for all people will speak in one tongue. But the thing that will never cease is love. That love will last through all eternity. Now, when I think about the eternal quality of love, it reminds me how I am able to have the kind of love that is described in this passage. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is a love that we struggle to have. So if we struggle to have it, but it is the kind of love we should have, how do we achieve this kind of love and have it last for eternity? Listen to this, you ready? This kind of love must first be received before it is achieved. All right, you might want to write that one down. I don't think I put it in your notes. I probably should have. But listen very closely to that again. This kind of love must first be received before it is achieved. Remember, we're told this in 1 John 4 and 19. We love because he what? First loved us. We may not love this way naturally, But when one experiences the love of Jesus, one should be able to live out this kind of love through the power of Jesus in you. In fact, I like the illustration I saw that said this, that you go back to that passage that we just looked at and put our name in and go back and do this. Go back and insert Jesus's name and then see if it sounds right. Go go back and read it this way, that Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. 
Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus was not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus was not irritable or resentful. Jesus did not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoiced with the truth. Jesus bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, and endures all things. How does that sound to you? Good, right? I think we all agree those things sound right. Jesus was all of these things and more. And here's what should be reality. Here's what should be reality. That when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he begins to live in your life and to control your life so that you begin to reflect his love and you begin to love as Jesus loved. Why do I say that? Because Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, all right? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that. Here is the key for anyone listening to the message. I said it a while ago. You must receive God's love before you achieve the kind of love that God requires. Only as the love of God grows in you can you love the way you need. See, I know for me, when I think about how much God loves me, Think. When I think about how much God loves me, it, it becomes a little thing for me to love even the most unlovable person. When I think about all the junk in my life, all the shortcomings, I have to think that God still loves me and that Jesus died for me. So then it becomes a small thing for me to love others as described here in this passage. And since we saw last week that God's love is everlasting, then that tells me the love that I have for others should also be eternal. It should not end. And I can live this way as I let Christ live through me. Do you hear that? Now, maybe there are some here today that say, well, Brother Scott, I I don't love the way described in 1 Corinthians 13. And the reason that you would say that is this, because you've never accepted God's love in your life. If that's you today, let me tell you this. Today is a day to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never loved because you've never accepted the fact that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus rose again to prove that he had the power to forgive sin, and that you've never given Jesus control of your life. If that is you today, you will only ever love the way you should if you give your life to Jesus and invite God's love into your heart so that you begin to grow and, and, and that that love begins to be displayed in your life. See, you have to accept eternal love to achieve eternal love. Now, a few of you may hear me say that and say, well, I gave my life Jesus a long time ago, but I still struggle with having this kind of love. If that's you, let's consider one more thing about love before we end today. Love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Listen to these verses, verse 11 through 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Part of what Paul is wanting us to realize is this, is that anything we experience now is partial and fading. Correct? There's coming a day when everything, though, will be perfect and fully known. Until then, everything we'll eat, we experience now will be less than it should be. In fact, no matter how smart I think I get or how much knowledge I think I gain, I have to realize that I will still fall short of knowing all things this side of heaven. 
No matter how eloquent I am able to speak or how articulate my words may become, my speech will never be perfect this side of heaven. In fact, I don't even want someone to count all the grammatical mistakes I've made just in this one sermon today. I know the reality that this side of heaven, I will never love fully as I should. No matter how loving I think I am or how loving I become, I will never love perfectly this side of heaven. And I'm glad Kim didn't say a big amen there, even though she did shake her head. I will never love perfectly this side of heaven. You will never love perfectly and fully this side of heaven as you should. However, it doesn't mean our love should not be growing. When Paul uses the analogy that when he was a child, he spoke like a child, but when he grew up, he put off childish ways. It's not a stretch for us to understand Paul to be saying, as you mature, your love should look differently. Even as you mature, you should understand the importance of love over prophecies that will fade or tongues which will go away. As you mature, love should become both more important and more prevalent in your life. You see, as you mature, your love should look more like the love described here in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're not growing in love, then you're not growing as a Christian. See, I know this. When you receive Jesus, let me go ahead if you don't know this. When you receive Jesus, you're not going to instantly love the way you ought to love. I wish that were so true. Right? How many of y'all wish that was true? I wish it was. Okay. But here's what I know. As time goes, as you grow in your love for Jesus, as his love grows in you, as time passes, that love in you should be growing. You should be maturing spiritually to the point that your love is also maturing. You see, Paul encourages this growth in the church as a whole when he wrote this in Ephesians 4. He said, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Think about this. As the church matures in Christ's love, we grow in love. We learn more and more what it means to love as a church, Right? Then Peter challenged individual Christians to be growing in maturity. And second Peter, when he wrote this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, if you're growing in Jesus, what will happen is you will be growing in love. Now, the late Paul Harvey, probably known by people my age and older, right? All the young people say, who's Paul Harvey, right? He spoke about the growing nature of love in relationships, he described the three stages of love. He said, first, there's romance, when you're infatuated with each other and the electricity flows. Right? You don't know what I'm talking about, right? But romance always fades and gives away to tolerance, where we discover our partner has faults that irritate us, and we have to put up with each other. Right? Love comes, yeah, he was a wise man, yeah. Love comes from mature love, love in the third degree of his, he calls it, when we have shared so much life and intimacy and sacrificed so much time and energy that we delight in the fact that there's someone who knows almost everything about us yet still cares about us. It's when we are the most important person in the world to our spouse and we give up our own lives for them if necessary. That's a mature love. Paul Harvey pointed out that too often when people hit the tolerance stage, listen, that when they hit the tolerance stage, they conclude that they've fallen out of love, terminate the relationship and go searching again, looking to re rediscover romance. In their attempt to discover a soulmate who will meet their every need, they recycle the experience and they delay the ultimate fulfillment. In other words, they never reach the level of mature love. 
Let that sink in. Paul Harvey was a wise man, right? I wonder if that is how we are, though, with our love with others. Let's think. Is that how we are with others? Instead of seeking the kind of love spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13, when love gets tough, we just write others off. We cast them aside and therefore never get to experience love in the highest degree as God wants us to. Let me ask these questions. Do we love until the patience wears thin? All right, do we love until we don't feel like being kind anymore? Do we love until our needs are met or or, or until we feel that, that they are not being met anymore? Do we love until the record of wrong we've kept is so long I can't write anymore? Maybe somewhere along the way, here's what we've done. We have failed to mature in our love and therefore failed to experience the love as God desires. You see, no doubt love is a sign of spiritual maturity because we have to grow in maturity in order to experience the kind of love described here in 1 Corinthians 13. As I prepare to end, let's look at the final verse here in this chapter. It just simply says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, love, no doubt, is important to God. All of the things we are to pursue, love should be number one because love will first point us to God in whom we can place our faith, and then love will lead us to faith in Jesus, which provides us hope, and finally, love will lead us to love others with a love like the one described here in 1 Corinthians 13, a love that pleases God and a love that lasts. Now, I I don't know how you would have filled in the blank today if you had said love is... And I asked you to finish that statement. I don't know what you'd have said, right? But I hope today this is now what you'll say. You'll say love is one being motivated correctly, not just acting appropriately. That you, that you will say love is countercultural and counter you. I hope you'd say that love is eternal. And I hope you'd say that love is a sign of spiritual maturity. I would hope you'd not only say that love is these things, but also that this is what love looks like in your life. If you cannot say that your love looks like the love listed in 1 Corinthians 13, let's today, let's seek to have our love redeemed and let's seek a love that looks like 1 Corinthians 13 love. Does that sound like a deal? And of course, we can only have this kind of love through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, this morning, let's seek this kind of love. As we come even to a time of invitation for some of you this morning, it is coming and giving your life to Jesus Christ, the one who loved perfectly, the one who loved so much he died for you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you've never received that eternal love, today is a day to do that because you will never achieve the love of 1 Corinthians 13 until you've received the love of Christ. And I would encourage you today to come confess your sin all right, commit your life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, you take control because I want your kind of love and I I know it only comes through you. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, let this invitation be that time you do that. For others, it might be coming to commit to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ so that you not only understand Jesus' love for you better, but you also have a growing desire to love others. Please, please, don't be a Christian who's happy not loving people. That's not God's desire for us. Maybe today you need to come and say, Lord, give me a growing love so that I can love others as it says here in 1 Corinthians 13. I want that kind of love. For others, it might be coming today and praying for someone you love. 
Or maybe it is expressing your love to God, all right, and saying, Lord, I just want to come and love on you because you've loved me and I thank you that you've loved me and give me the ability to love God. I just want to come and tell you that this morning or maybe for others it's come to say, listen, I want to be growing in love and I know to be growing in love, I need to be a part of a church that loves God and maybe for you to come and to say, I want to join Valley Creek and be a part of this church so that they might help me grow in God's love. See, as we have this invitation, there are many things that you might do today, but my prayer would be that you let God speak to you. My ultimate prayer is today that you would desire to have the love of 1 Corinthians 13. And you say, I want to love like that. I'm not going to be happy until I love like that. And you'd commit to growing in Jesus Christ so you can have that kind of love. Is that a deal? And your silence. All right, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today that you love us. And God, I can't even begin to describe how I feel that you love me, Lord. Because, Lord, I know that I don't deserve it. But I also know the love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is the kind of love that you have shown me. A love that's patient and kind. A love that did not seek its own. And so, Father, today, as we come to this time of invitation and we really look up to your love, my prayer would be, Father, now that you fill us with your love. There might be some here today that have never experienced the love of Jesus, and I would pray if that's the truth, that they would come in this moment, give their life to you, and experience that eternal love that can change them, that can fill them and lead them and direct them to love others. So I pray this would be that time for them to come give their life to you. But Father, I pray for all of us, God, that you would help us to love this way because I think we all agreed a while ago, Lord, when we put our name in there, God, it just didn't sound right. We've got some work to do when it comes to loving as you desire. And so in these moments, Father, I pray that you would just even speak to all of us, God, and move us, lead us to your kind of love. I pray there'd even be some that would come today and commit to a deeper relationship with you so that they might grow in your love and grow to love as you desire. So whatever you want to do, Father, in this moment, I pray that you have the freedom to do that. Pour your spirit out, and I pray that we'll respond. I I pray no one today will resist your spirit calling and prodding. But today all will say, Father, I hear you, and I'm listening, and I'm responding. And they would come to you this morning. So I give this time ultimately over to your mighty hands. As we said a while ago, you can do great things. And I pray, Father, even in this moment, you'll do great things in hearts and lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.